So first, we have a patron of every Theology on Tap that we do. We have a patron. Our patron this series is Blessed Carlo Acutis. And I've given like eight facts or nine facts up until now. This young man was amazing. So we'll start with fact nine. I ended with fact eight last week. That would just make sense. Carlo wanted to utilize technology and his website to evangelize. He was inspired by Blessed Giacomo Alberion's initiatives to use the media to proclaim the gospel. He's ahead of his time. During his battle with leukemia, fact 10, his doctor asked him if he was suffering much pain, and he responded that there are people who suffer much more than me. All right. So the funny fact about that is I had COVID beginning of the year, super bad cough, not leukemia. I was like, oh my goodness, just spare me from this pain. Take me from this world now. I, so just, uh, it, uh, just sharing thoughts, just sharing thoughts out there. I'm much, I'm much, I'm not, a, a, he's blessed for a reason. Let's put it that way. All right. Fact 11. After Carlos's death, a traveling exhibition of the teen's Eucharistic miracles began. A brainchild of Acutis, Monsignor Raffaello Martinelli and Cardinal Angelo Camastri, I'm not an Italian, who at the time was head of the uh, catechetical office of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, helped organize the photo exhibition in his honor. It has now traveled to dozens of countries across five continents. It was at St. E's a couple weeks ago. So that's pretty awesome. Fact 12. Francesca Consolini, a postulator in the Archdiocese of Milan, thought there was a reason to open Carlo's cause of beatification when the required wait of five years after his death had been met. Speaking of the young teen, Consolini said his faith, which was unique in such a young person, was pure and certain. It made him always... Be sincere with himself and with others. He showed extraordinary care for others. He was sensitive to the problems and situations of his friends and those who lived close to him and were with him day to day. All right, so now we're going to pray the prayer for canonization of Blessed Carlo Acutis. You can find his prayer card on your tables. And I'll start it off. We'll all pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Father, who has given us the ardent testimony of the young, blessed Carlo Acutis, who made the Eucharist the core of his life and the strength of his daily commitments, so that everybody may love you above all else, let him soon be counted among the saints of your church. Confirm my faith, nurture my hope, strengthen my charity, in the image of young Carlo, who growing in these virtues now lives with you. Grant me the grace that I need to trust in you, your beloved son, Jesus, and the Virgin Mary, our dearest mother, and in the intervention of blessed Carlos Acutis. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All right, our series theme is Go Forth. Go Forth is very missionary. It was chosen by our young adult planning team. Thank you very much, young adult planning team. We worked, they worked together for the past few months to plan the event. Throughout this series, we have discussed and will discuss how the Lord gives us his very self to be nourished. He rejuvenates us and sends us out to spread his love to the world. Our speakers will explore the ways that the Lord restores us, calls us to deeper gratitude, invites us to relationship with those around us, and sends us out on mission to serve. 
So what does it look like to go forth to love and serve the Lord in our home and workplaces and neighborhoods, right? I mean, it's like where the rubber meets the road. To further propel us in that missionary attitude is our speaker, Jessica Hayes. Jessica Hayes was consecrated as a virgin living in the world by Bishop Rhodes in 2015. She was listed in BBC's 100 Women of 2018 and has taught theology for 20 years at Bishop Dwanger High School and currently serves as a pastoral associate for St. Vincent's DePaul Parish in Fort Wayne. She also serves as the advisor for vocations to the consecrated life for the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. So she's not really busy. So if you have questions afterwards, you can, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thank you for your service, by the way. So without further ado, I introduce to you Jessica Hayes to talk with us. And give us a mission. Right. Thank you. That when I hear things like that, and then I think about the way that my nephews talk about me, just I, I had one of them tell me I was as important to him as his stuffed animals. So I'm right up there with the ratty dog that he sleeps with. Uh, but it's okay. It's all good. Uh, but we... Um, We'll talk about you know, the goodness of, of family life and how they're part of our discernment. But I wanted to begin tonight with this passage from Mark's gospel. It just struck me within the last couple of weeks as, as being important to uh, what we're going to speak of, of tonight. And I also remember Bishop giving a beautiful reflection to our teachers at Dwanger on this a couple of years ago. So if this is a little repeat from last week, uh, sorry, but it's it what he said uh, remained with me, and I, I think it's it's good to share with you. So this is Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 13. And Jesus went up into the hills and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve to be with him and to be sent out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Simon, whom he surnamed Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, whom he surnamed, oh, I can't say that, never mind, that is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. As we look at at the pieces of of that passage, first, uh, that Jesus goes up into the hills, and I realize as I this is the Bible that I pray with at home. I use the one on my desk at work to write this, so the translation is a little bit different, but it'll still work. Uh, he goes up the mountain, up into the hills. Uh, he goes to this place apart, and then he summons those whom he wanted. And I think that, that that's an important phrase right there, that those whom he desired, those whom he wanted, he calls to himself. And really, that's each one of us, to realize that we're wanted by the Lord, and that we expect a summons from the Lord. I remember uh, years ago, I was out of college, but newly teaching and speaking to a, a priest at a conference in confession and struggling then with my own discernment of my vocation. And he said, you know, each of us is going to get a summons from the Lord. And what your work is at this point is to prepare yourself for that, that you're going to prepare yourself to lay it all down. And you're not to that point yet, but you need to live in such a way that you have faith that the Lord is preparing to call you. And so he encouraged me to really ponder the mystery of of the Annunciation and to think of Our Lady in the silence of her room at prayer and waiting. And when she receives that summons, she's ready. Um, But she's ready because she's prepared. And he said then the thing that I most needed to hear, which happens often to me in in reconciliation, that he said, otherwise, we get the sense that we've missed something. And that was exactly how I felt, that surely I'd made a wrong turn and missed what the Lord wanted. But he just encouraged me to go right back into that mystery of Our Lady's Annunciation and just get ready and live with faith that the Lord sees, that he desires each one of us and that he's preparing us for him to summon him. So it says that he summoned those whom he desired and they came to him. So they're ready. They come immediately to the Lord. And then it says he appointed 12 
and that it gives like the first reason that he appoints them. It's that they might be with him. That was first. It wasn't, here's what I need you to do. And I think so often that's what it is that we're, we're seeking. But it was first that we might be with him. And that's, that's the beginning of their education into the life of Christ. Uh, one of my professors had said that we, we enter this communion with the Holy Trinity through the humanity of Christ. And so when we, we draw near to him uh, in the Gospels, in the Holy Eucharist, uh, to follow him, to firstly to, to be with him, and then to move on to what it is uh, that he wants us to do with and for and in him. But it begins with that cultivation of, of a friendship, of a being with him. That first purpose, I think, is easily missed, that he calls us first because he desires us that we might be with him, and then gives us the message that he might send them forth. I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite authors, Mother Mary Francis, has beautiful reflections on, on Advent and Lent. She's a poor Claire's sister, but she talks about this these intimate companions of Jesus that are summoned to be with him, to share his life, to be his disciples, and learning to see ourselves in that way too, um, that we're those whom he wants to be with and that he wants to travel with. And she starts talking about people that we travel with become really close, maybe, um, or really could make a mess of our relationship, but you can't travel with just anybody. And you learn that if you travel with people you shouldn't have. Because there, you've got all kinds of, of opportunities to see each other at your best and at your worst. So choose wisely. In my own family, my parents were complete opposite temperaments. So a vacation for one was not so for the other. So they just had to learn how to, to work that out. And it's been almost 49 years. So it's, it's went fine. Uh, but that uh, when she talks about traveling companions and you think of those people that you have traveled with and what you've shared and how much you learn about one another. And it's that that the Lord wants with each one of us uh, to see us at our best and our worst so that things are not hidden from him, knowing that that's growth in a relationship. So never be afraid um, to travel uh, with the Lord. Before he gives his commission, so they're summoned to be with him. And then the next line, and he might send them forth. But it begins with this drawing to himself and then uh, this being and then this sending forth. And you notice that rhythm in the Gospels, that that's kind of how it goes. You know, they're with him, he sends them out, and then they come back. And so that life of the disciple is, is that way, where we're coming uh, to be with the Lord, to be sent, but then also to return, um, so that we're always growing in our communion with the Lord. So he might send them forth, and he gives them his authority. So it's his, but he means to share it with these disciples whom he sends out. And then I, the last time that I prayed with this gospel and was reading through the names, and I always kind of rush that part because I know who they, they were, except that I can't say sons of thunder and whatever this language is. But anyway, I thought too that you know, he, he calls each one of them by name, but he also calls them like from the context of their family. So you get to hear like who's son of who and brother of who, and how much it is that our families influence us and are part of our vocational stories. And the things that we learn there are so important. And the Lord knows that, and he sees that, and he calls us you know, forth from the place where we've learned those first lessons, and where now maybe we're learning as adults how to continue repairing and growing those relationships because of the importance of our families. So that passage, I think, is a beautiful one to ponder uh, when thinking of, you know, what does the Lord want for me, from me, uh, that always begins with a, with a being with him and a continual returning to, you'll see in other passages in the gospel, they go out, they come back, and they tell him everything that they've done. And then he'll tell them to come away by yourselves and rest for a while. That there's that sharing always of the labors and then that open reception of, of the time with the Lord so that they might be sent out again and always to come back because uh, we're meant to live that, that life in communion with him. So the title of this talk is about going forth uh, in vocation. So I have, have a lot of thoughts. Hopefully some of them are, are helpful. But when I would speak to my students for years about understanding, they, they knew that, that it meant to call. But I think sometimes what we miss in understanding the word vocation as call is that that implies someone 
who calls, who has to do the calling. And there has to be that relationship with the Lord in order for us to respond. So that verse from Deuteronomy, that the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, that that first thing they're directed to do is to listen. And you listen to the Lord, and then your loving of him is going to flow uh, from that listening to him, that they could love with their whole heart, soul, and strength. And that the strength of that relationship that we have with the Lord is going to determine our, our knowing what he's asking in that call, but then also the, the degree of, of trust and generosity and, and everything else. Because when you think about when people ask you to, to do something, to be a part of something, the likelihood of our responses increase, like the more of a relationship we have with that other, because we want to serve. We want to be a part of what they're doing. We're, we want to buy into that mission and, and be helpful and respond often you know, in, in love to the person who asks. We have a, a second consecrated virgin in the diocese as of October 3rd of last year. So we've, we've doubled in size in the last six and a half years. Um, but one of the, the beautiful things that, that Anne Therese said in the, the articles that were written uh, leading up to her consecration was that, you know, understand that call from the Lord to be his bride. And she says, you know, I, I responded because partly because I, I love adventures and holiness is an adventure and our vocation is, is a big part of that. Um, but she said, but mostly because I love the one who asks me. And that the depth of our love, no matter what it is that, that we're asked to, when, when that call comes clearly from a, a beloved, it's easier to, to give ourselves to and to do so with joy. And as adults, uh, to do so understanding that, you know, life is still going to be a mystery and there's still going to be difficulties, but being willing um, to have, you know, another traveling companion in whatever it is, whatever way that, that we are called. So there is that call. My first vocation is really to be what I am, to be fully human. Uh, when I used to teach morality, we'd spend a lot of time on what that is. What does it mean to be human? And to know that that's good to be fully human. And what are those choices that we make, the actions that we take that acknowledge that goodness and honor the truth of the dignity of, of the human person? So all of that's tied up in our, our vocation of, of being a human being. But also, because we are the Lord's, our vocation is to be holy. So what, when we think about what it is that the church needs, and sometimes there's, there's a lot of, of talk about a crisis in vocation, and I would say that goes across the board to every vocation. Um, but the focus sometimes is on, on the priesthood, on religious life, on consecrated life. But what the church really needs is holy people. And because if we're living that call to holiness, then we are open and ready and receptive to what the Lord is going to ask of us. And we will do so with all of our hearts, uh, whatever that path might be. So from, from the moment of our our baptism, we, you know, we are holy with the presence of God. Uh, that is, is such an important like, living reality, as Pope Francis says. Do we, do we embrace our baptism as a living reality? Not something confined to the past, but something that makes me who I am today. So we have, from then, everything we need. We have everything because we have God himself in our souls. And so to think of, you know, what do I do next? How do I find that? But we have the Lord. We have everything. And the, the challenge for us is going to be to, you know, to know him, to seek to know, to love, and to get ready uh, to lay ourselves down in the way that, that he asks us to do. So from that moment of baptism, I have a Christian vocation. I'm given that in my baptism. So the question isn't so much, what should I do? What do I want? But what has the Lord already given me in my baptism? And how do I open myself to that, that reality of, of who it is that he wants me to be? I went uh, years ago to, the, to visit the CFR sisters in the Bronx, and they were sharing their vocation stories uh, with those of us that were, were visiting. And I remember one of them saying that for her, there was finally this clarity that this is how God wants me to be holy. Uh, and, and that's what a vocation is. That, that's the specific path that the Lord has chosen for us to become holy. And he will give us plenty of opportunities 
to grow in virtue and holiness along, along that way. Um, but there's a, a best way for each of us, for who it is the Lord has, has designed us and called us to be. So from there, you know, that's really where the bulk of the work of discernment has to be done, that, that knowing and loving and being with the Lord and then asking, what do you want me to do with my life? Sometimes we get that backwards. What should I do? And then I'll, I'll get to work praying in the specific way I should pray for that. But it's, we start and end and remain with drawing close to the Lord. And then from there, discerning a specific lifelong consecration. And that's part of our you know, vocation to be, to be fully human, uh, is to understand ourselves. The, the saints talk about how very important self-knowledge is. A lot of that has to do with you know, understanding our, our temptations to sin and growing in holiness that way. But also a real good discernment of, of our joys. And learning to see, like to look at my life uh, and see, you know, which areas of study, which classes am I most passionate about? Uh, what work, what ministry, what activities, what are those things that truly give me an experience of joy? Not just fun, um, but like a real deep abiding sense of joy, of delighting in, in what is good. Because that's a, a fruit of the Spirit, a sign of God's presence at work in us. And so, when we can discern, Lord, these are the things that you've given me that I'm, I'm truly passionate about. I should probably make a distinction between talent and passion. Talents are things that we're good at, that maybe they come easy to us, probably. Things that we're passionate about, you know, passion means to suffer. So which things are we most willing to pour ourselves into? where the work feels a little less like work because there's such a strong desire to be doing that specific thing. And so like for years I had that, you know, with my students that I, I studied and tweaked lesson plans and stuff like that all the time, because that was a passion of mine and handing the truth uh, on to them. So um, those things too are meant to be part of, of our discernment. You know, who has the Lord made me to be? How do I understand these things in my life that, that he has given me an attraction to, a passion for? Where am I most myself? All of those are, are important questions um, that can help us to see what it is that the Lord is, is calling us to. I remember uh, Father Drew Curry, and we were speaking to a, a group of his college students, and he, he had said that you think about once you're, uh, you're really in love with the Lord, in love with your faith, you know, asking the Lord, how is it that you want me to hand this on? Is it in a, in a broad sense where I'm helping lots of people to grow in their faith and their experience and understanding of God? Or is it more in, in a sense of handing that on specifically and mostly to my family and helping the family to grow in holiness? So that's another good thing to ponder um, as we, we think about our, our love for the Lord and how it is that he's calling us to be holy, how it is that we're going to be uh, his disciples and evangelizing and sharing the gospel and finding our joy and being a traveling companion uh, with the Lord. And I think, you know, a lot of this, I remember, especially in high school, really, I would have had a hard time answering any of those things because we did everything the same. We had pretty much the same schedule. We did the same or limited number of activities together. And it's kind of hard to figure out, like, what do I really like? Or is it, you know, for a lot of the uh, young people that I worked with, it was more about who was going to be there than about what I really like to do. And so as you get older, I think that kind of shifts a little bit more. And we, we know ourselves better. And we have a better understanding of how it is that we can give in a way that's, that's fruitful, receive others in a way that's fruitful. And part of that, the same Father Drew, I remember him saying that the first place that he learned to be comfortable in his own skin was in Eucharistic adoration. Because he could just be himself before the Lord. He talked about visiting the chapel in the mother house in Mishawaka. So I'm sure there were sisters there praying for him, and which is why he's now Father Drew. So all of that's good, but that's remained with me too, that you know, to be in silence before the one who knows me best. And that makes me think too of a Pope John Paul II quote that someone shared with me from a World Youth Day. I think this is the one that was in Denver. So probably before most of you were born. It's okay. But he said to the young people gathered there, you are not who they say you are. Let me tell you who you are. And then dove into this teaching on, on their dignity as children, as sons and daughters of God, that the Lord had a specific plan and a purpose 
for, that, that that's what they needed to be, to cling to. My pastor, Father Dan, when we speak about specific lifelong consecrations and discerning those, and marriage too is a lifelong consecration, he tells us that, that the devil hates them. He hates lifelong consecrations, fulfilled vows, fulfilled promises. And so we have to be uh, to beware of all the things that, that are threats to that. And I think of, you know, a lot of that being noise, uh, of course, being sin, but the devil knows too uh, that if he can't make us bad, then he'll at least make us busy. And sometimes busy about really good stuff. But if there's so much activity in life, there isn't the silence, uh, the time for spiritual growth to really listen to what the Lord is asking of each of us. And um, that was really important uh, for me in my own discernment of taking the time to step back. And it was that point that there's finally enough space in my life in the silence to know what it was God was asking of me. Uh, it was all good stuff, uh, but I know like that's, that's a temptation of, of everyone who's a, a disciple is to get involved in so many things that they neglect the one thing necessary, which is that the Lord asks that we be with him. And then from there, the discernment too uh, that occurs in every day. What is the Lord asking of me today? Father Mike Schmitz does a good little video about that in that we begin this training in faithfulness with our daily duties of saying yes to what it is God asks of me today, of my work, my classes, my duties to family, to friends, all of those things being a response to what it is the Lord's place before us. So those little yeses are paving the way for the bigger ones. And especially the discipline of daily prayer that requires a time carved out. What's the best time for me to, to listen, to be available for God? And knowing too that no good relationship is cultivated without a serious investment of time and a serious investment of myself and my own vulnerability in that other. So when we look at, at what vocation is and the connection to being sent forth from the mass, so I have a couple, hopefully all of this is going to come together in the end, or if not, that there's at least something here that was useful to somebody. It's good too. But when we think of being sent forth from the mass, there's a, a little note that a priest at a, a parish I was visiting, uh, he said to those who, uh, it was a, a bold statement uh, for all of those, because by the homily, we're in the middle, right? Those who habitually arrive late or leave early, habitually. Uh, he said, if you're always coming late, you're refusing to admit your sinfulness with the rest of us because they missed the penitential right. He said, if you're always leaving early, you're just leaving. You're not being sent. So that final blessing, that sending forth, like those are, are important things as well. And so when we think about what that means, we have to look first at you know, what it is that we've uh, what have we been doing for the whole celebration of the Mass? How then are we sent forth from something really beautiful and to, to live uh, that vocation to holiness in the specific way God's asked of us? Bishop had quoted in his, his recent document on the Eucharist, Pope Benedict, that the love that we celebrate in the sacrament is not something that we keep to ourselves, but by its very nature, it demands to be shared with all. So when we think of, of approaching the Mass as one who's ready to encounter love, to celebrate with love, to meet one whom we love or hope to or want to grow in. Uh, and we ask the Lord uh, for that. And a lot of that preparation you know, happens outside of Mass, that personal cultivation of, of a daily relationship with the Lord. Um, there's a fantastic video by Father Michael Schmitz that was given at a, a Sikh conference several years ago called Pray the Mass Like Never Before. So if you haven't seen it yet, put that one on your bucket list because he, what he says there, he links it to the Passover, but what he says about the lamb is so important. So I have to share that part with you and then I'll come back to the mass. But he said that they were to choose this unblemished lamb and then there was a certain amount of time in the Passover between the choosing and the actual slaughtering of the lamb. So to keep it unblemished, they had to take the lamb into their home so nothing would happen to it, and then carry the lamb to the temple to be sacrificed. So he said all of that was for the purpose of them growing attached to the lamb, so that you slaughter the lamb whom you love in the process of the Passover. And his point in telling them that was that you know, we, we need to be 
carrying the lamb with us between the masses. And how do we do that but by remaining with him in prayer so that we get to that moment of sacrifice? You know, it's the sacrifice of one whom we love. And because of that, it involves me too, that I am I'm in communion with that one whom I love and offered. So at the beginning of the Mass, if you think of just the, the beautiful like, fullness of prayer that happens there, beginning with the penitential rite, the examination of conscience, where you get about three seconds to think about your sins. Um, so, which is, which is why we should examine our conscience at the end of every day. Mother Teresa said we should do that anyway in case we don't wake up in the morning, which is a little sobering, but true. But if we think of making that a regular practice for our lives, we're already coming to the Mass with what it is we want to ask the Lord for forgiveness. We do that at the beginning so that we can enter more fully into the communion that we'll receive in the liturgy and also the listening to his word, all of it um, is, is important. And that we celebrate that being forgiven, that reception of his mercy that makes possible always a brand new beginning. Um, like praying or singing the Gloria, if it's a Sunday and it's not Lent, then listening to the word taking that in, this one who speaks to us is alive. And there's something about hearing it proclaimed that speaks in a new way. Even uh, your gospel passages that you may have heard many, many times, uh, to listen with an open heart that the one who speaks is alive and has something new to speak into our lives. Through that word, through the reflection on the homily, offering of our, our prayers at the offertory, offering of ourselves, and Father Mike Schmitz talks about this too, that moment of after the consecration, when Jesus is lifted up under both species uh, by the priest, and then we sing the great amen. So that's, that's the moment where the Lord is, is offered to the Father and our offering uh, goes up with him. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Adrienne von Speyer, says that at that moment, we're singing the great amen, the priest is, is lifting the Lord um, she says at that moment, Jesus and the faithful are just one thing, that which is offered to the Father. And so if we think of life, vocation, mass, you know, we want to follow Jesus, and that means being offered with him back to the Father, our whole selves, and knowing that you know, the Lord gives, gives his, his whole self, that he, it's a making present again um, the moments of the passion where he gives himself in a way that, that he can't take back. It's so total and so complete and because he doesn't want to. He wants to be poured out entirely. Um, and the piercing of, of his side on Calvary, he says to Catherine of Siena years later, the desire for your salvation is infinite. This I manifested in the opening of my side where is found the secret of my heart showing that I love more than I could show with finite pain. I showed you that my love was infinite. So it's, it's this reality that is, is made present again for us in the holy sacrifice of the mass and that we're invited in to offer ourselves together with this lamb whom we love for the world. And that if you had the opportunity to study any of the theology of the body that, that speaks of our, our vocation, as love, as self-gift, that the more that I give of myself, uh, the more uh, my own being increases. I become more who I am as a person because I'm following that pattern of, of life and love. I would say that, that our Lord's total self-gift, giving completely in a way that's, that he can't take back, was very much the desire of my own heart and my discernment. I had all these good things in life, and work that was meaningful, a good family, ministry in the parish, all that was good. But that's what I didn't have yet. And that's what I wanted to give myself in a way that I couldn't take back. And that is a desire that's given us from the Lord himself because it is his own. And he means uh, to share himself completely with us. So in that Holy Eucharist as, as model then for our vocation, that you know, the desire remains and life is what it is. So the, the catechism tells us that, that we need the Holy Eucharist to strengthen the charity that is lost through daily living. So this is very true. It's a lot of good stuff in the catechism. But I think of that you know, with respect to our, our vocation, the, you know, that gift that we so want to give, and sometimes that's easier than others, but the Lord remains with us 
and gives himself to us to strengthen us in love so that we can love others in the way that he, he loves each one of us and that he, we can share his own love with other people. We can't grow in any virtue without the presence of other people. So St. Jose Maria talked about thinking, not that this person annoys me, but this person sanctifies me. So just make that switcheroo and the Lord will help us all the way home to heaven. So if we think of that being um, the rhythm of the mass, you know, that's what it is that we're sent forth from. This total self-offering of Christ that we join our own self-offering to, uh, back to the Father and being sent forth, sent out from this time that we've been with him and then out in whatever way he has for us at the moment so that we're people that bring light and love and peace into those situations that we encounter today. That's really a challenge in February when everybody needs that more than ever. And so if you can bring the love of the Lord from the mass into the world at a time that most people are struggling and with the cold darkness that's become kind of long by now, that's really a great gift, a great witness. But we need the Eucharist to replace that charity that we're losing through daily life uh, in order to, to be able to go out into the world. So the last thing that I want to talk about, and you know, from this experience of the Mass, realizing, too, that this remaining with the Lord, this being sent out and coming back, um, and preparing, too, through spending time with the Lord in Eucharistic adoration, and the discipline of our prayer lives kind of feeding into that, that we make time for the Lord. One of my, my duties at St. Vincent's is to recruit or beg or however you want to say it, people to sign up for Eucharistic Holy Hours. So like this is, is something that I live now drawing on the sisters years and years and years of faithfulness. Uh, I know they're praying for us. But I realize you know, just in the, the short time that we've had this Adoration Chapel open, that even for myself, thinking I'm going to stop in there and I'm going to stay this long and whatever, the time how much I need that on my schedule to be able to really invest the time and really be there for a whole hour and make sure that that's done consistently. And what a, a gift that's been to me during this time is to be able to see how the Lord means to remain with us, to stay with us, to help us know ourselves, um, to accomplish that vocation that we have too, to adore him, to be who we are before the living God and receive from him. And like what a, a gift it is that he, he remains with us, uh, that we're not alone. We have him in us by baptism, continually given in body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. And then you staying with us all the time uh, through Eucharistic adoration. So there's a, a beautiful uh, meditation in the Magnificat today written by Carol Hauslander. She had said about the Lord waiting 33 years to the point where he could celebrate that first Eucharist and give himself in that way to his disciples. And she adds, and then 2,000 more for me. And that that's the Lord's way, is to take himself into his hands and to give himself to us. And it's that that he invites us to be a part of. Yes, to receive him, but then also to give ourselves back. Firstly, by responding to the call to be holy and then uh, preparing ourselves for how it is that he will ask us to go out into the world and to, to be commissioned, to share in his mission, to spread the gospel in joy. And the saints, uh, the lives of the saints show us that, that there are a lot of different ways to do that. And they, they responded to what the Lord asked specifically of them to the point that they could say with St. Paul, that I no longer live but Christ in me. So as we continue to discern God's will for our lives, and we're not done when we do reach a lifelong consecration, uh, because there's still more that the Lord has for us within the context of, of fidelity to our vows. But we have to, to remember, as Jesus shows us, that it, it's not about us. Sure, there's a, a discernment of, of my joys and what, where my heart's drawn, but I, ultimately, it's not about me. It's about giving myself to this one whom I love, the Lord. And thanks be to God, because that doesn't really make us happy. And that tends to be like the, the focus of, of so much in the world today. And we're not exactly cranking out happy people. So that must not be it. It must be something else than putting myself first, that where it is that we really find joy. It's in that, that giving of ourselves away in love.
We're good. We're good. Next, we'll, we'll take about 15 to 20 minutes and you can bring your questions to Jessica and we'll, we'll go from there. So if you have any questions, raise your hand. Hi. So uh, once, sorry. So what was your favorite author's name again? I have a lot of favorites. The one that you... Uh, the one I said at the end? Yeah. Carol Hauslander. Carol Hauslander. And what would be some uh, like books from her that you would recommend to her, uh, check uh, out? She, her book, Read of God, is on the Blessed Mother. Um, she has another book on Easter. I can't think of what it's called. It might just be the 40 days after the resurrection. So those are, are the couple that have been my favorites, but I have a lot of favorites. So she's a great place to, to begin. So Ms. Hayes, how would you, how would you balance like, it's the, especially those who are discerning, well, I guess either vocation, but particularly marriage, how do you counsel one in the sense of you need to prepare for this vocation, but also when it comes, you'll never be fully ready. Like, is that mm -hmm. true? Like either vocation, you'll, you'll never be fully ready because vocation is really yeah. a preparation for heaven. Yeah. So if, if you mean like ready as in I am perfect. <laughs> yeah. Don't wait for that. Yes, we will be, we will be perfect in heaven, but I think we prepare like most, especially in, in the concrete. So what does my life look like in like whatever path it is that, that I'm choosing so if, if I want to discern religious life, I have to discern that in the concrete reality that it is by going to visit a specific community. And then also I really working to incorporate what it is that they do into my daily life. So if I understand their rhythm of prayer, when I go home, I'm doing that as far as possible. And the apostolate that they do, how do I work that into my life is, is the work something that I can give myself to. And I would say, you know, the same with preparing to enter the seminary. What does that prayer schedule look like when I visit? What is that experience like? Does anything draw my heart? And I go back home and I, I am discerning in the concrete, does this rhythm of life draw my heart? And, and I'm willing to give myself to it. And so you know, with, with married life to it, same thing. It has to be discerned in the concrete with a concrete person. And so you're waiting until I'm, I remember one of my brothers saying that he was too selfish to be married. And I thought, so is everybody. <laughs> I mean, really? And, and that's, and that's the, the beauty of having other people in our lives to help drive that out. Um, one article that I read recently about discernment and vocation is like the whole point of living your vocation is to kill your ego. Like it's pretty much it. Any path will do that for you. <laughs> lived well. Um, so I think, um, you know, when you think of, of, of married life and, um, spending time with, with families that are, are doing it well, um, looking at what, uh, I remember I had a, a student, one of my classes whose parents, um, had helped with their, their parish's marriage prep for years. And they would invite the engaged couples into their home for dinner. They had a big family like maybe there are 10 children around the table. And she said, one couple decided not to get married. So, but, um, you know, really is, are, are we looking at it in the way that it really is? And I think that that's a large part of it to, to see a, what does it take to live marriage? Well, to put Christ first, to sacrifice for our children. And we have, we have plenty of, of opportunities to, to do that throughout the day. Because uh, if you think of, of your, your, your spouse is the one person that you kind of get to pick to be your family, everybody else you just get. So like, what does life look like when I you know, live with, with my coworkers, my siblings, am I invested in, in keeping my own family close and in loving them? Because that too, all of those, those realities are, are important. And so to think of you know, what um, marriage and family life is day in and day out, I, yeah, I would say get yourself invited over to some, some families' homes and see, uh, you take notes on what's going well and things that would be a challenge to you. you know, take those things to prayer and ask the Lord because it's, it's lived in the, the daily realities. 
sister Claire Mathias wrote a book on discerning religious life. And she said that in her own discernment, like way, way back before she was sister Claire, she said, I would compare the most dismal day in the convent with the rosiest days of family life. She said, I was comparing unreality with unreality. And that's a problem uh, because a vocation, it, it involves real people. I'm going to bring my real self to it and I'm I'm not going to be perfect once I arrive there. I'm still going to have myself and all of the the, the challenges uh, to living life well that that are part of mine. But I don't know if that that helps. Hi, I was just wondering when you were talking about like when you find like that passion where your work seems less like work. How do you yeah. kind of discern that from like when maybe it's something that becomes contributing to the busyness or contributing to the noise? Mm -hmm. um, and is there a point where like your passion can turn into something like that or vice mm -hmm. versa and how you kind of discern that? Um, and is it like based on like your mindset about it or is it something more like, is this time consuming? Is this like, like on a more concrete level? Yeah, that's, that's a, a good question. I think when I started teaching, I hated it. So thanks be to God, I stuck around longer than that. Um, but because I think that sometimes learning anything new is difficult. Um, so there has to at least be the desire like, for the, the vision that is there to invest yourself into it. But that is a challenge, especially when you're, you're passionate about something that at some point there has to be more in your life than just that. Because even if you're, you're able to work in a field that you truly want to sacrifice for and give yourself to, we're still human beings that need time with God alone. Uh, that need to cultivate healthy human relationships, uh, that need to exercise, like the list goes on. So there has to be the balance of, of living life well in those elements too. And sure, there's going to be times that are busier in your work than others, um, but you know, working around the clock because I'm passionate about it is really just a recipe for burnout. Uh, so there, no matter what, there has to be that healthy, healthy balance. And you'll see... I think with you know discerning your work versus discerning your vocation, you know the the work is certainly can be part of that, but you know who you are as a person uh, is always more important uh, because we we I think we tend to define ourselves so much by what we do, and you know that's part of it. But when we change what we do, then do I even remember like who am I? And that's that's important for us to to have a a life outside of even the thing that that we're passionate about. So even um, we had uh, one of our, our priests, Father Jay, just got back from vacation and, and he talked about how important that is for all of us to have time away, just to be refreshed, rejuvenated, and to come back uh, with, with more passion to be able to pour into our labors. But that's necessary even when the work is life-giving. Um, that's a, an ongoing discernment. Um, I was wondering if you had any um, suggestions or tips on how to avoid making an idol of vocation or mm -hmm. discerning vocation. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a good question. I think of uh, one of my professors was counseling us on the spiritual life and spiritual direction. He said, in your, your prayer, said, focus on the Lord and not on yourself. So I think sometimes that can happen with discernment. It's like I, I go there to get my answers. And so I'm going to stay here until you answer me. Or I've got this specific thing that I need from you today. Um, and he just, he's like, okay, like you can hand all that over to the Lord. But then you turn your focus to the Lord um, and to growing in communion with the Lord. And, and that's, that's really the first thing. In teaching high school students, some of them uh, would be thinking about vocation, but like always kind of in reverse order. Like, what do you think I should do? Could you see me as whatever? I don't know. I don't know. Ask your mom. Um, but um, I, that's sometimes like there's, I think if the obsession over the discernment is putting that first instead of the Lord first. And so we should always be, I, I think that if the goal is increased intimacy with the Lord, we won't steer off in that direction. Sometimes what happens too is that people might be waiting for too much clarity. Uh, I want it to be perfectly this way, as in like slam every other door in my face and there's only one more to go. 
It's not really making a decision. We have to be big kids and choose. And that's you know the the beauty of 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 ours that we you know, we surrender that to to the Lord, and then we deny ourselves the freedom to change our minds, and that's a really good thing, because it, ultimately it's it's for the Lord. It's about Him and glorifying Him with our lives. You know, and that too is is one of the the beautiful endings to the Mass. Go forth, glorifying the Lord with your life, because um, that's you know, we that we receive and then carry Him with us. And so I would say of having a healthy rhythm of prayer, but then also paying good attention to our human formation as well. Are we cultivating good and healthy friendships and good, healthy relationships with our families? Are we connected, doing our best at work, in school? Do we have some kind of ministry or service where we're giving ourselves in that way too? So I think keeping those things well-ordered, turning our attention to the Lord and knowing too that you know there were times that even Our Lady says that she didn't understand what the Lord said to her. And that should be a great consolation to us. It was also not an obstacle to her holiness. So she knew she was mother. And she could do that. She could continue with the next step without having to know and understand everything. So God bless you. It's a tough place to be. I know it well. <laughs> kind of... Tagging on to that, are there many good like resources, even if that's just an article or two, for those who maybe in a February <laughs> are feeling low or um, you know, people struggling with severe mental health or personality mm -hmm. disorders mm -hmm. as far as discernment goes? Um, yeah. you know, when maybe mm -hmm. reality can be hard to understand and mm -hmm. that need for a sign. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Father Timothy Gallagher has written a couple of good books, one on discerning the will of God, uh, another on discernment of spirits um, that may help with the slump <laughs> and learning um, how it is, too, that, you know, of looking at the influence of the Lord or of the devil and temptation and, you know, understanding what those are really. And sometimes it's just that, you know, there's other mental things going on, like, I'm really tired. And so life looks pretty bleak or, um, and mental health issues um, as well. I'm trying to think of, there's the, the temperament books. It's that same couple. I want to say it's Art and Lorraine Bennett. Could be them. Uh, but they, they have written about, um, there's a great book on the emotional life and understanding. I'll have to look it up. But they, they wrote books on the temperament God gave you. The temperament God gave your spouse, the temperament God gave your child. So understanding you know, that it's a little bit, it's broader than personality, uh, learning how to live with people of, of very different things and understand them. But they, um, I'll have to look it up because I, I read it in the library. I think during COVID when I wasn't seeing anybody, it's not a very long book, uh, but it, one of the things that I remember about it was, was she writes about uh, paying attention to the mood and also like identifying all right, what have I been thinking about all day? And seeing how that's contributing to how I'm feeling or the way that we react to certain things. I remember her having the question in there, which wound received that blow? Uh, of just looking at our lives honestly from, from that perspective and seeing how that affects the way we interact with one another, our prayer lives, the questions we ask. So, but I'm pretty sure that the authors are Art and Lorraine Bennett. Hi, thank you for your Hi. talk. At the very beginning, you mentioned something that I thought you might come back around to. But sure. It was about uh, how, you know, we're coming from the context of our family. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a really open-ended question. It's just, sure. could you speak more on that and what you were kind of aiming at there? I think that uh, when we think of, of the family that we come from, sometimes you know, the marriage of our parents has a big impact on, on discerning that particular vocation as a way of life. So um, the Lord knows and calls us from a position of, of knowing what our upbringing was like, knowing what our connections are to our brothers and sisters and what the difficulties may have been there. And so when he calls us you know, out of that, you know, he, he does so with a, a firm knowledge of, of who we are and how all of those first relationships and first lessons that we learned on community on our own dignity, on whether or not we're loved, 
like all of that stuff we carry with us. And so much of that happens in the context of the family. And so I was thinking of it in, in that way from whatever, like for better or worse, you know, there, there can be real woundedness there. There can also be um, some like unrealistic expectations given the way that the experiences that we've had. Uh, the Lord knows all of that. And so what it is that he calls us to remains even with things that may have seemed to have set us back or hurt us. There's always you know, a path forward, a path to healing, some of those things. I'm thinking of a, a conversation that I've had. Um, I meet with women that are discerning consecrated life. And one of them came from a family where her parents went through um, a terrible divorce. And she was still suffering very much from that. And I was pretty sure that's why she didn't want to get married. It didn't have as much to do with being called to another way of life as really being called to heal from that experience. And that would be a long road forward, but it's not impossible. So um, sometimes it's it's those things that steer us in a direction other than what the Lord's calling us because we, we've made that so much a part of ourselves. So I don't know if, if that's if that helps, but I think of you know so many things, even as as little kids that we would say to each other and you know, things that we might believe about ourselves that aren't really true, but you know, siblings fighting with each other and things get planted in your brain and and there they are until somebody challenges them. And so I think you know, the Lord wants to draw those things out of us as well so that they can be healed and we can hear his voice as the one that, that reminds us of who we are, what our identity is, and that he has a plan for us, even knowing everything that we've experienced up to that point. Thanks again for your talk. Um, I do have a question. We talked sure. a lot about discernment and prayer tonight. Mm hmm you know, there's a lot of points in our life where we discern things. Can right. you give us some like techniques, tips, tricks, ways to orientate our minds towards God and off ourselves when mm -hmm. you're doing a prayer for discernment? Mm -hmm. Anything along those lines? Yeah. I would say that like, one of the most important disciplines in prayer is silence. And no matter how long you've been praying, it's not an easy task. <laughs> So the things that were, were most helpful to me in, in discerning the, like, the bigger questions uh, was a prayerful reflection of the gospel oh, and just remaining with the Lord in his word a few verses at a time and just that patient going back over it and over it. And I, in the, when I first started praying, it's called Lexio Divina, uh, that prayerful reading of scripture, I had a formula and I was tied to the formula uh, and I would get my passage out and I have my questions and then I would write them in my journal so that I would focus, keep bringing myself back to the passage I wanted to, to reflect on. And then after like years of that, you know, years and years later, you don't really need the questions anymore. But I think that prayerful reading of sacred scripture and time set aside in silence, uh, remembering that, that Jesus is alive and that he speaks present tense through the gospels. And he you know, speaks like into to each of our lives uh, today. I don't know how many years ago this was, but I heard uh, one of our priests proclaiming at, at Mass, a passage I'd heard a hundred times before, that just hit me in a whole different way. It's the end of John's Gospel where it talks about, there are many other things that Jesus has said and done, but were they all to be written, the world itself couldn't contain the books. And I thought, oh, that's because the things that he's saying and doing are continuing in each of our lives. It can't all be written because he's still speaking those realities today, like into each of our lives. So I think um, that that is, is especially important. Uh, prayer with, with the scriptures and in our discipline of daily prayer to make sure that, that one of those times a week is before the blessed sacrament for however long we can be, but to, Ponder the gospel with the living Jesus before us, the same one who's speaking to us there. He will lead us with you know, whatever questions that we have. You know, there's some practical things, too, about you know, just you know, making the pros and cons type lists of the, the different options that you have in front of you. And you know, that can be prayed with, too. But always we want to bring our focus back to the Lord. And there's a lot of great books that have been written uh, to help us ponder sacred scripture because uh, it's a, a difficult way to pray in the beginning. Uh, I've been very much helped by Magnificat and the daily reflections that are, are in there. And yeah, gosh, there's so many, so many others. Uh, Romano Guardini is, is another favorite where he 
is, he has a, a book called The Lord, but it's, it's little sections that are reflections on the gospel and learning how to apply that to our lives. And you know, if we keep at that practice, we'll begin to see ourselves in it. So there's you know there, there's the prayerful part that that is is most important. But I'd say like you know practically when it is that I, I look at my options, say someone asked me to to be a part of some new committee ministry something in my parish, uh, I need to look honestly too like at you know what is my vocation today? Is there space for this one more thing? Is there you know a passion a draw to that particular ministry? Um, and all those things can be can be taken to prayer. And then, at, you know, at some point, we just have to make a decision and try it. And sometimes it means like, okay, I learned pretty quickly. That was the wrong way to go. Now I know. But other times we might find, you know, that there's something else that the Lord has there for us. And, you know, if we're faithful to being with him every day in prayer and he calls us to something, sometimes it's not about the work itself. It's about some other connection that's going to be made there that's important. And so we leave that up to him too. But all of those choices, you know, they have to be you know, discerned like within the context of the vocation. Is this going to take away from some other duty that I have already to work, school, family? If it is, then that's our answer right there. Sometimes it's that simple. I don't have all the answers or even a few. Yes. Uh, so I got engaged a couple months ago. Congratulations. Our... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> to my lovely fiance here, right. who you should really be clapping for. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Woo! Anyway, um, so yeah, so that has been very good in like preparing for like my vocation. Mm -hmm. But like something that I've come to realize is that like I am the kind of person who like when I get stressed because of like life and whatever, I am the like, I do not want to be around people anymore. I want mm -hmm. to be by myself. Mm -hmm. And like, that is hard when you have another person yeah. to think about and like care mm -hmm. for. And so like, but it was funny as I was like thinking about it, I'm like, and like, I heard all the things that like you do. I'm like, wow. And I thought my life was stressful, you know, sometimes. <laughs> so That's like, funny. how, how do you like handle that? Like, I obviously yeah. like yours is different right. than like mine, but like, how do you handle yeah. that? I think that's really important that you said in front of your fiance and everyone else that when you're stressed out, you got to be alone. Sometimes like it's that simple. Tell each other that so that she knows it's not her. <laughs> you just need to take a walk. There you go. That's good. And we're all witnesses um, to that truth. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, that's, that's an ongoing challenge because there's always going to be more work than there is time to do it. Um, but to put first things first. Um, so for you and your vocation, your work is ordered towards your family. So it should not be taking the place of your family. Like sometimes there's going to be crazy seasons at work and if you know how long that is and you know that there's an end in sight and that you're not going to stay on that path forever, but you're going to get through tax season if you're an accountant. It's the only thing that's coming to my mind right now. Um, then uh, you know, I think it's okay to know that sometimes you're going to be nuts. I work for the church. Lent is crazy, but it doesn't last forever. But there still has to be like, even like within my own vocation, that the main duty that I have is to pray. And so like, that has to be first. And so if the work day is really long, like, it doesn't matter. Like my first duty is to pray. And so that has to, to always be part of my life. And that, you know, that's my spouse. So that time that, that we have is really important. But there has to be, too, like someone else asked about, you know, balance and work. And that's something, too, that you kind of have to look at your life, make a schedule. Which days can I exercise this week? Or if, you know, my, my side job uh, with meeting uh, women that are discerning, sometimes I have to say, okay, let's look at two months from now. And then I can drive to South Bend and meet you or, I, or whatever that might be. But that, that's just an honest assessment of the full-time work that I'm paid to do, the primary work that's mine in prayer and knowing that, okay, this is a, a side thing. They'll still be discerning in two months. It'll be okay. So you have to kind of look at, you know, where, where's my first responsibilities, put first things first and know that if time is really crazy and we don't have good family time for this week or this two weeks, we know that we're planning for it in the future so that my life isn't always like 
a rat race where I've forgotten like who I am first, you know, is you know, spouse, mother and father, son and daughter of God. Like those are, are the who you are's that are more important than what you do. So, but you got to keep working, take care of the fam. True. So, but I think, you know, seeing, not losing sight of, of what the purpose is of those things. One of my friends was, was saying that, you know, she has to think every so often, like, okay, why do I work so I can have a good life? And once my work starts to take away my good life, then I got to reassess some things because it's, it's to be ordered. You know, she is married and has children that it's for like her own, sure, enrichment development as a person, but it's for her family too. And it's not to take the place of, of the importance of family life, which means learning how to say no when we need to say no. Good. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. That's great.